Dighty. Getting close here. Hopefully, um, at some point in life, technology will no longer have to be a part of my life. That would make me very happy. All right, we are ready to start. Well, I wanted to um, begin the lesson of James chapter 3, the verse, what, first 12 verses of chapter 3, by, by reading a little, uh, a little uh, exchange that took place historically between Winston Churchill and a lady by the name of Nancy Astor, Lady Astor. If you don't know anything about it, Winston Churchill, of course, was prime minister in, in Great Britain. Uh, and, uh, and one of his nemesis was a, a woman by the name of Lady uh, Nancy Astor. And she was a member of parliament, and they just could not, ex could not what's the best word? They hated, they hated each other with, with great vigor. And they had a, a hilarious exchange uh, to their... To their, to their prattle, it went, it went, it went something like this. I, I think you could call it sarcastic dialogues. So here's one. Um, the, the, uh, the situation is not clear. There was just an exchange between the two of them, probably some sort of a party. Uh, Lady Astor said, Winston, you are drunk. And Winston Churchill replied, and you, madam, are ugly, but I shall sober up in the morning. I love that one. Um, and then another one, uh, Winston's attempting to both be, you know, tease and also to ridicule her a little bit by uh, saying, having a woman in Parliament is like having one intrude on him in the bathroom. She serenely replied, you're not handsome enough to have such fears, which provoked a disgruntled laughter amongst the staff and uh, very much to her satisfaction. Also, at another time, there, his impolite question about what disguise he should wear so that nobody would recognize him at her a masquerade ball that she was putting on. Nancy ironically responded using rhetoric, why don't you come sober, Prime Minister? Um, but the very, my favorite one is um, uh, recorded in, in his autobiography. Lady Astor and Winston were, um, uh, you know, showing such great, you know, disgust for each other. And one of her, one of her visits uh, to his house, there was a, an encounter and a, a heated argument on some trivial matter with a, a, you know, some sincerity that was probably noted in both of them. They're shouting at each other. So at one point, here's, the, here's what the shout was. If I were your wife, I would poison your coffee. Whereupon Winston replies with equal heat and sincerity. And if I were your husband, I would drink it. I just love that two public figures in a very public way use their tongues in a very unnice way. I don't know that I've ever been quite that, you know, maybe the word is brave, maybe the word is stupid, but I, I don't know that I've ever been uh, that vocal, that uh, out in, in public, out in front of other people, using my tone of voice and my words so poorly. But you have to admit, all of us, that that which resides in our mouth that we call the tongue is a nasty little thing. And whether it's with someone we love and it's just a short little comment, maybe even a tone of voice, maybe even just a sound that you make of disgust or sarcasm or irritation, all of those things count. And James, in our, in our study here, uh, he, he wants to make sure that we have another test, another test of what I've been calling authentic Christianity. It's not, it's not creeds, and it's not doctrine, and it's not a list of things that we ought to believe. It's a way we ought to behave. 
This is how you ought to live. And this particular one is a battle for vocal holiness. What comes out of our mouth, does it reflect holiness or does it reflect the flesh? We talked a week or two ago when the tongue came up in chapter one, I think it was, that the tongue was an ambassador of the heart. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit more today. That what is residing in our minds and our hearts has a tendency to come out of our mouth. Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse number 18, I put it in your notes. It says, evil words come from an evil heart and they defile the person who says them. We, we, we marvel at something on social media where someone is being a complete idiot in public screaming and hollering at somebody over something relatively. But that, that attitude, that, that perspective, that, that amount of sin and, and fleshiness, if you will, is residing in that person's heart. It's just looking for an opportunity to come out. Unless we throw rocks at everyone else, aren't there those moments when all of a sudden you, you have a, almost an out-of-body experience where you turn back and go, why, why, am I, why am I acting like that? Why am I saying that? Why, why have I allowed myself to express that in that way? It's because somehow or another that irritation, that anger, that frustration, that whatever resides in some corner of our heart. In, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34, and then it goes on and picks back up towards the end of that passage, the Bible says this, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. So if somebody ran around behind you with a, with a, you know, a recording device for a week and took down everything you said to anyone and everything, including you know, the silent little comments you make while driving, someone's cutting you off, you express yourself somehow, or a little comment you make as you go by someone as you're exiting someone's store or some other experience. If they recorded all that and then we sit down and looked at it, what, what would it reflect? A, a heart of kindness, a heart of sarcasm. Oh my gosh, do I have sarcasm? I, I am the queen of sarcasm. I, I, and sarcasm is just a way to, to let my irritation be known in a socially acceptable fashion, only it's not really socially acceptable. The scriptures give lots of warning about our speech. I put some down in your notes just to kind of get our, our minds thinking before we jump into the actual text. It says in Psalm 34, if you want to live long, you got to control your mouth. Listen to this. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. You want a long and happy life? Get your mouth under control. If you want to avoid ruin, look at this one out of Proverbs chapter 13. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Rashly, meaning without, without regard, without thoughtfulness, without, without care, without a, 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 a guard on your lips. And then, and then the, the other one that I wrote down is, if you'd like to be known as wise, you'd like to be known as a wise woman, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning, and discerning if he holds his tongue. Now, years ago when we first started building st these buildings in Stony Brook, I had to go to architectural meetings. And so there would be the, the construction manager and the architect and the builder and all these highfalutin dudes. We, we met down here at, uh, at Coco's for breakfast, the one on Crown Valley. It used to be on Crown Valley. 
We met there every, I don't know, Thursday morning. And I learned very early on in those meetings, shut up. You know nothing. So I would go to those meetings with a pad and a pen, and I'd smile a lot, and I'd greet everyone, uh-huh. And I took copious notes, and I just kept my mouth shut because I didn't want them to know how stupid I was. I was completely ignorant. I knew nothing about building a building. Well, what makes me think I know about all these other things I comment on? The same, the same principles should apply. Silence is golden. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent. Just button up. But my husband this, or my child that, or my sister this, or my best friend that, or the guy in the store this. Um, I was grocery shopping, this has been several years ago, and, and I was, you know, how you, you get in a rhythm and you pass the person on every aisle, you know, you go through that aisle, and then the next one you're passing them again. And I passed this lady with her kids. The kids were totally out of control. She was out of control. And so I'd seen, you know, the exchange on two or three aisles. And finally, on my last aisle, she reached up and slapped her kid. And I mouthed off with no self-discipline or self-control. Oh, that'll really help. Now, can you just imagine that woman's response? Yeah, she just absorbed that as good counsel, thanked me for my interest in her and her family. Are you kidding me? Everything that she'd been, you know, fussing up to with her children, I got. And I deserved every bit of it. And finally, when she, you know, stopped screaming at me, I said, I'm sorry, I should have said nothing. And I quickly got out of the grocery store. That's what that verse is talking about. Wisdom is the ability to say, hush. Just stop. Maybe in the middle of a conversation, maybe in the middle of a, a reflection, maybe in the middle of an, a, an attitude or an opinion, but just hush. Now, it's harder on women than men. You say, well, that's not fair. No, it's not fair. But they're not very vocal anyway. I was reading a study. This one was particularly about folks as they get a little bit older in age, but I think it would be true of any age. Women speak somewhere between 20 and 25,000 words a day. 20 to 25,000 words are going to come out of all of your mouths in a, in a single day. Now, your husband, on the other hand, he's only going to talk seven to 10,000 words. So about a third. You know, how was your day? Now, how do you answer that? Well, it's about a 20-minute diatribe of what happened in the morning, who you met, what you said, what you did, and who did, 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 but finally get it done. You ask your husband, how was your day? What does he say? It was fine. It was a good day. Three to one. Easy three to one. Maybe four to one. Maybe five to one. We, in a year's time, a normal woman is going to speak 9 million words. And the thing that's so upsetting about that is we are held accountable for every single one of them. That's why James is making such a big deal about the tongue. It can sink us in a, in a nanosecond. In a, in a way that is very difficult to control. I wanted to talk about just two examples, again, before I get into the text. One a positive one and one a not-so-positive one. Let's take the not-so-positive one first. Um, uh, Moses had a brother and a sister, Miriam and Aaron. You probably know about their story. Well, in, in Numbers chapter uh, 12, verse number 1, the Bible says they began to speak against Moses because... Um, they, they didn't like who he, who he married. So here at a leadership level on the children of Israel, 
Moses is uh, clearly the leader, but Aaron was right there with them. And Miriam had a tremendous influence on the children of Israel, so much so that you can read about her in, in numbers and some great things about this woman. But, but because they didn't like who he married, the Bible says they started snarking at them. And, and you know what happened? Leprosy was in their future. This, this is not a good thing. We're not supposed to have roast pastor on the way home in the church, or way home in the car. You know, it's not, what are we having for dinner? Let me tell you all the, you know, chew, chew, chew stuff on pastor. That's not our, our role. Um, the Pharisees, they, they were constantly snarking against the disciples. And I put one, one example in there. They began to mutter in, in Luke uh, chapter 19, verse number 7, that, that uh, Jesus once, was once again a guest of a sinner, making an evaluation of his choice of friends. Those biblical examples of, of evaluative uh, process, I don't like who he married, I don't like who he's hanging out, I don't like what they're doing, I don't like what they're saying, it's so easy to do. It, it, at most of our ages, we have grown up or growing up uh, children. It's really easy to evaluate them and their choices. Boy, that was dumb. I don't think they should do that. Brianna announced the other day on the telephone that she'd like to buy a Tesla. Now, everything in me, the kid is just getting by, got a good new job, doing fine, making wise choices on her money and all that. And suddenly, when she's got everything good, she's announcing she's going to buy a, what, a forty dollars or $50,000 Tesla. I am proud to announce I said nothing. It's very unusual. Very unusual. I did the famous parental mmm. Mmm. But there are some times in the Bible where there's examples of really, really good stuff. Um, the one I put down is the Proverbs 31 woman, where in Proverbs 31, verse 26, it says, Faithful instruction is on her tongue. Isn't that what you want as a little, a little uh, 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 plaque in your kitchen, referring to you and your children and your family, your extended family? Faithful instruction is on her tongue. And, and yet, sometimes... Because we just can't help ourselves, we do the opposite. So let's look at the text itself. It's really important. I think James is going to nail it. James chapter 3, verse number 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, just to pause here. In these first two verses... James is just kind of saying, you know what, it's not a great idea to, to long to be a teacher of God's word. You know, there is, a, there is a high standard, and he puts this warning in here. Those who, who teach God's word, pastors, teachers, Bible study teachers, whatever, who presume to take God's word and, and, and hopefully get it in a fashion that you can receive it, chew it, apply it, there's a, there's a danger there. He, he talks about teachers in the sense of, of the same way Jesus uses that word. He, it's used a whole bunch in the Bible. And the, and the concept is they're leaders. They're spiritual leaders. So when, when you sit in church and go, oh, I could do that. I, I want to be that person. I want to take that leadership role. Be careful, James is saying. This is a tough one. They need to be able to keep their whole body, including their tongue, in check. And he says, let me just say to you, there's, a, there's even a higher standard for those who, and I'll use my expression, ought to know better. 
I take that seriously. I realize that that is an area in my life that needs attention, and I have over years you know, made some significant attempts to address that. And that's what James is saying. Be careful here. And then he's going to jump into some, some illustrations about how powerful the tongue is. Verse 3. When we put biz, bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, he's, he's using three illustrations to say that the tongue is an extremely powerful tool for good or for evil. The first one he uses is the bit in the horse's mouth. I don't really like to ride horses. Uh, I know a lot of women that enjoy it. It's very comfortable. It's very enjoyable. It's, uh, you know, a, a moment with nature. I've never enjoyed it for years. We used to go to a, a horse ranch uh, in, uh, in Colorado. And my whole family would, you know, run out in the morning with their cowboy boots on and their hat and jump on a horse and take off. And I would grab a, grab a fishing pole and head to the stream. I, my knees killed me riding, you know, they were supposed to be the little shock absorbers and my knees couldn't take it. But I would always promise to go out on one ride at the end of the week, usually for this breakfast thing. And they had this horse, he was ginormous. He was probably five feet broad across his, his back. And his name was Hank. And they would save Hank for me, and I would reluctantly get on Hank. And, and I used to call it my, you know, I have a healthy regard for, which just meant I was afraid of him. He's bigger than me. I, he has a mind of his own. It never occurred to me until one of the ranch hands gave me a big lecture about the bit in their mouth. And it's not very large. It's about two, three inches wide. And it's placed in a specific place. It's pretty uncomfortable. And if you yank it one way or yank it the other way, it's, it's going to send a very definitive si signal or, 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 or say to that horse, hey, I want you to go this way, I want you to go that way, I want you to stop, I'm in control. James is using that little bit as an example of how that thing in our mouth that's flapping around controls us. That it is very powerful. It's not very big, but it can ruin people's lives. He uses a second example, the rudder on a boat. And I got to thinking about, was this a little bitty boat with a little bitty rudder? But no, the, the boat that's mentioned in Acts 27, uh, that Paul's going to get on on his journey to, to Rome, um, it actually says how, how large that boat is. It says it could accommodate 276 people. So that's a pretty good-sized boat. So James is referring to a large boat that is really directed by a very small rudder. If you looked underneath that, that boat, a, a two-foot by two-foot very small rudder is actually determining the course of that large boat. He's saying it doesn't take much to direct something. And, and lastly, the illustration he uses is a spark, just a small spark. If you've ever sat around a, a campfire, you know that it doesn't take but just a very small spark. And it gets in the wind and gets in the air and it gets on the right kind of uh, stuff and it can set a, a quick fire uh, of its own. He's using that again to, to give us the illustration that the whole body can be quickly affected by what this thing in our mouth does. We need to tame the tongue. He says in verse number seven, um, 
Well, let me, let me pick up verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. He says, now all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, when you want to tame something, you, you, want, to, you want to overpower it. You want to, you want to be in control of it. You want to have it subdued or conquered. Much like uh, we, we've seen on television, all of us, the process of, of breaking wild horses. Where, where the wrangler, in a, in a variety of styles and ways, but, but that, that the, end of, the result at the end is he wants that horse to know, I'm in charge, you're not. You don't get to do what you want. I, I'm going to control you. It's that same term that James is using, that we need to tame our tongue. We need to have control over our tongue. There was a, a, a little funny that showed up in some of my reading this week. It went like this. Beneath this stone... A lump of clay lies Annabelle Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. Not until she was dead. I, I don't want that on my, uh, on, my, on my stone. I don't want it to be said about me that the only time there was any self-control over my mouth was when I was not breathing anymore. James even calls this in a spiritual sense a rest, restless evil, something that's moving around and affecting things, an active force, the unkindness, the evaluation that we make. You know, someone walks past us and we evaluate what they're wearing, what they look like, um, what, what, what is notable or not notable about them. We evaluate so quickly and, and, are, and are ready to share it with someone. Did you see her? Boy, that house really... There are so many ways that there is a, there's an activity in our lives that's determined by what's coming out of our mouth. It made me think of the passage in 1 Peter when it talks about Satan being a roaring lion, lion uh, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. There's an activity port to it. He's actually out there trying to ruin lives. Well, our, our tongues are active too, and they need to be reined in. They need the rudder set. They need the fire put out. They need self-control. We need to tame the tongue. And then he uses another really difficult expression. He talks about it being a, a deadly poison. I don't know about you, but have you ever been so angry with a child that you said something and you watched the light go out in their eyes? You know, you're going back and forth. I remember when Brianna's uh, famous teen years, we'll, we'll take 15, 16, 17, right in there. Those were challenging years. And, and typically, you know, she'd get into it, and I'd be trying to exercise so much self-control, at some point I would lose it. But I was, you know, really working hard at being the, the grown-up of the, of the group. But I can remember clearly an occasion where she was just going off and my flesh took over and I made a snarky comment and I could see in her eyes that I'd wounded her. I'd gone that, that half a step too far, that I'd gone into something personal, I'd gotten into a, an area that never ever should have been used as, a, as a, a, a silly little weapon. And the moment it happened, I knew it. 
And I stopped right then. And I sat down in the middle of the carpet and I pulled her down to me and I put my arms around her and I said, I am sorry. My mouth got away with me. I never, ever should have said. That's what he's talking about, deadly poison. Actively running around. You remember the old thing on the old cowboys, old, old ones. There'd be a, a campfire and the, the uh, Indians would be sitting around and the cowboys would be sitting around and at some point the cowboy would go, white man speaketh with forked tongue. You remember that? Yeah, my age, whatever. I used to laugh uh, about that. Everyone speaks with forked tongue. I mean, and, and it's not just a politically correct statement. The problem is not one person, female versus male, older person, younger person, uh, person in authority, not parent, child, uh, certainly race and gender and all the rest of them. It doesn't matter. We all speak with forked tongue. There is, a, there is an aspect of, of poison. Romans chapter 3 verse 13 says, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. It's part of his, his dialogue there to convince us, and the bottom line of that is, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So he's making his legal case, and as he makes his legal case, that's one of his statements. Their throats are open graves, and, and their tongues practice deceit. Now, I'm feeling a little bad here that I'm giving you all these good illustrations of how nasty my mouth can be, and I haven't heard a word from you, and you're all looking so perfect out there. So... Would you please raise your hand if you've ever used your tongue in an inappropriate way? Okay, I'm feeling better. Thank you. That helped. All right. So what do we need? Well, first off, we need to see one more thing from James in verse number 9. In verse number 9, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And then he gives an illustration. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Answer, no. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Answer, no. Or a grapevine bear figs? Answer, no. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He's saying that we've got some real deadly inconsistencies here. The tongue should not be used for for evil and good. It should be used for good. We have a tendency to let it be used for all kinds of things. He says, in essence, to our detriment, our mouths both praise the Lord and curse men. Um, how long does it take you, especially if you have a, a car full of young kids, but how long does it take you on the way home from church to get into it? Jen's laughing over there, so I'm going to take that as a hand-raising example of it happens. We were just in church. We were just singing. We were using this thing to praise the Lord. And we get in the car, and this thing runs amok. Or you're on your way to church, and husband and wife have a little... And you get to church, and you I praise God from You know, the, the same thing... The tongue was being used for praising and cursing. He said, wait a minute, this isn't right. There is a battle going forth in the mind and the heart of a believer for vocal holiness, just like holiness in any other part of our lives. We want our, our tongues to reveal our hearts. One writer said, the tongue is the hinge on which everything in our, in our lives turns. 
the, 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 the hinge. It's either for blessing or for cursing. And I don't mean cursing like nasty words necessarily, but just something negative, something that's lacking positivity. Something might, might even be true. It, just because it's true doesn't mean we should say it. You know, there's a kindness factor. Is this build someone up? Ephesians talks a lot about building up one another. You might have something about your spouse that's absolutely dead on. That is precisely what he does. Yes, you are a good observer. But is it valuable to the relationship and to your own personal growth to express it? Maybe not. Maybe not. Kindness spoken here. I love that. We used to have that sign over our kitchen. Kindness spoken here. Wait, wait. And, and, and somebody would just stand there pointing at it, you know, if necessary. Mm-hmm. Little reminder. So the issue really is self-control. Uh, in Proverbs 25, remember we, we, meant, we mentioned at the beginning of this study that James is very much like the book of Proverbs. Very, very practical, very drive it to the heart. Here's one that just matches up. In Proverbs 25, verse 28, it says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Now think of the mental picture, you know, a medieval town where, you know, they've managed to get the walls knocked down and the, and the bad guys are stomping over it. That is a picture of a person who doesn't have self-control. They, they have no ability to keep order because they're just going off. Self-control is the key to having a tongue that, that does not speak uh, cursings or evil. The goal is Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 14, uh, a verse that was part of my early on memorization. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let them measure up. Let them be pleasing to you. Let the, the concepts that come out of my mouth, the, the comments, the evaluations of things or situations or people, the sarcasm that would like to drip out, let all of that know, let it be pleasing. Let you go, okay, Sherry, go ahead and say that. Or, mm, good job, keep that one, keep that one hushed. So, so what do I want to say to you? What's the so what of this lesson, other than just feeling incredibly convicted? I think there are two things to remember and, and, and uh, two kinds of things that you and I ought to, ought to focus on saying with our mouths. Let's talk about the, the things to remember. The first one is control our thoughts in order to control our tongues. What made me say my sarcastic comment to the lady that I was passing in the grocery store years ago? What was at the heart of that? Well, at the heart of that, I thought I knew how to raise a kid better than she did. That's the heart of it. I thought I had the insight, and she did not. And I felt it was, you know, a moral obligation to share with her. Ha, ha, ha. We need to control our thoughts. Is it my job to parent her kids? No. No. Is it my job to have a, a running dialogue with every driver on the road? No. Is it my job to police my neighborhood? I'm really not very happy with one of my neighbors down the street, and this is a, a live example. I haven't said anything, praise God, but it's going on in my head. 
the, the thing is, if we control our thoughts, if we control what goes in here, then it's less likely to come out here in, a, in an inappropriate or negative way. Jeremiah says, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse number 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? There is a part of us that is, that is flesh, the Bible would say. And that part does not want to do good. It needs to be controlled. We have to, we have to control what it gets to eat on. What it, what it, what it, what it, it flourishes when it has lots of input. So we have to be careful about what goes into our mind and our heart. So if, if we're watching nothing but snarky television programs that we really enjoy the repartee, don't be surprised when it's going to come out of our mouths in a similar fashion in our own, in our own relationships. Or if we're, if we're a certain kind of music that, 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 that we feed on. Or a friendship where someone is just negative, negative, negative. Don't be surprised if suddenly some of that, that rubs off. We have to be careful about what input goes in here. What are we reading? What are we seeing? What are we thinking about? During COVID, you know, uh, television programs were my, majorly non-existent. And so Netflix became a, a big tool, right? So we, we started going through Netflix. We'd never really watched anything on Netflix. Well, it didn't take us very long to recognize that a whole bunch of stuff that's on Netflix is not good for me. You know, and, and so we, we'd start a program and I'd go, are you enjoying this? No, click, turn it off. I, I can't tell you how many programs we've turned off. And maybe they weren't horrible, you know, pornographic, awful. Language, that was a big one. It was like, whoa, well, what happened to the gosh darn it? And now we've got a whole lot more. If I listen to something where the F word is prolific, it bounces around in my mind for weeks. I, I just have to not let it get in there. You, you know your own nature. Be careful about what you put into your mind, either from friendships or input, podcasts, television, entertainments, reading, doesn't matter. Whatever it is that causes it to roll around in there and have the potential to come out here, we need to get control of it. That's the first thing I think you ought to remember. The second thing is that the tongue is an instrument that's involved in almost every other kind of sin. This was an interesting study for me. We probably don't have time this morning. But go look up some of these verses. Lying, flattery, ridicule, slander, strife. All of them are because they're involved with our tongue. Envy, uh, jealousy, anger. When, when do you lose it in anger? We, the anger boils over in your heart, then it comes out of your mouth in, in an exchange with someone. Some people it doesn't take, but and it sets them off. Other people are a little more of a slow boil. But, but the tongue is an instrument that's involved in almost every kind of sin. Even, even immorality, you know, the lying that takes place over immorality. If, you, if, if, if someone's having an affair, I guarantee you they're lying about it. Their tongue has gotten involved in some facet. We need to be careful. And that's why that, that, that text in Proverbs 13, uh, 3, this is the second one that I think you ought to memorize. The first one was Psalm 19. This is the second one. You know, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Guard your lips. Put some, some, some soldiers out there. Some, 
A few years ago, a, a word, it was not a curse word, it was not, you know, a horrible word, but it was a slang term. And I don't really know where I picked it up, but it started showing up in my vocabulary. And I didn't like it. It just was crass. And so I said to a couple of friends, hey, if you hear me saying blink, call me on it. And boy, did they. So for about a month, I got called on, well, there it is, warning, warning, warning. I, I was able to get it out of, out of my vocabulary because it got called to my attention. If you've got some stuff like that, put some guards on your mouth. Maybe, maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your spouse. You look at him and say, you know, I want to say four really build you up kind of things for, for every one that I might ask you to move your shoes. And, and then let them keep a little score. Do it with your kids. Mommy does not want to be irritated at you. So if you hear me getting irritated in the car, I want, you know, and do something where they're not taking control of the household, but, you know, a little, a little flag system in the car, hold up the red card. You see the red card, don't get mad at them. You gave them permission. Silly things like that provide guards. If you're, if you're living alone and that's not a possibility, then put verses everywhere. Put a verse on your phone. Put a verse on your computer. Just to help you learn to guard your tongue. Now, I think there are two kinds of things that we need to emphasize saying. Two things that we need to remember. One, that we have to control our thoughts in order to control our tongue. Secondly, that the tongue, it just naturally wags along with all kinds of other sin. We need to be on guard. But the things that I think we ought to choose uh, to say, the first one are what I, what I called sweet words. Don't you love it being around someone that has sweet words? There, there are a couple of people in my life that I cannot be with them longer than 10 minutes, and they're going to say something sweet to me. They just are. That's just who they are. They think that way. They react that way. Their, their radar finds it. It's like the sonar on a submarine. Beep, 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 beep. Kindness. They get it. Sweet words. Don't you want to be like that? Where, when somebody says uh, inside of themselves when you walk in a room, oh, good, here comes a sweet word. I know it. I know it. Don't you want to be that one? My, my favorite illustration of this is in the Song of Solomon. And uh, Song of Solomon, of course, is a, is a book in the Old Testament for married couples because it is very explicit about uh, a marriage relationship. But, but the thing that I love about it is the beginning of the story. In, in Song of Solom Solomon, chapter 1, verse number 6, the Shunammite woman describes herself. And she describes herself, the King, King James Version says, I am dark and swarthy. What she meant was, is I'm dark and dry. I'm out in the sun a lot. I'm not particularly attractive. No one would want to be around me. That's her self-concept. That's how she sees herself. And then, and here comes her lover, and he, 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 uh, he calls her some, some nice things and says some things about her, about her body parts and about her. And then in chapter 2, she gets a chance to give another assessment of herself. And, and, and at that point, how, did, what, how does she describe herself? She says, I, I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valley. What changed? Physically, nothing. But some sweet words were expressed. Now, I realize it was in the context of her lover, but sweet words can go from a parent to a child, from a brother to a sister, 
from a friend to a friend, from a husband to a wife, from a wife to a husband. Sweet words make all the difference in the world. And may I just say, written sweet words are twice as valuable. You ought to be a writer. Write notes. Get a, get a, 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 a pad of post-it notes and stick them in your pocket. And when you're cleaning up your kids' rooms and you see something that you want to commit comment on, go ahead, write it on the post-it and just stick it on their desk. Stick it in their closet. Stick it in their under door. Hey, I'm so excited that your laundry made it to the drawer. No, that's sarcasm. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's left-handed. You know, your husband get, you know, gets out in his truck and there's a, there's a little note for him. It's stuck in his briefcase, stuck in his lunch pail, stuck in his, stuck in his jeans pockets. Anywhere and everywhere, written notes are even far more valuable. I collect them, I keep them, I review them, so does everybody else. When I ran the Stony Brook, I had a file I called my encouragement file. And, and, and I still have it in my desk drawer. And I got a note the other day and it went straight into my encouragement drawer. Because there are going to be days when it's not so encouraging. So, so sweet words, spoken, wonderful, written, double wonderful. And they don't have to be long and, you know, typed out. Again, post-it notes, little cards. Proverbs 16, verse 24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul, and they're healing to the bones. Just a, just a, a sweet comment. And it does not have to be made up. And don't, don't comment about... Things like, um, an example, a, a reasonable comment would be to say to someone, oh, you must have gone to the hairdresser, your hair looks nice. That's good. That's a nice thing to say. But, but, but it's not internal. You know, somebody else did it for them. Yeah, it was nice they went. Yes, they look nice. That's a good thing. But it's not as powerful as to say, you know, the last two or three times we've been together, I went away and I just felt so encouraged just by you. So much better than I like your hair. The same way with children and spouses and, and loved ones and family members and neighbors and people you work with. Sweet words. Learn to, learn to say them all the time. And the second one is what I would call inspiring words. Um, look, look in Job chapter 4. In Job chapter 4. We haven't turned to very many passages today. I typed them out in your notes. Go to Job chapter 4. Job's going to have a bad, a bad day or week or month or years. And things are they're not going all that well. But um, here is a, a comment that's made about some things that Job has said. He says, Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes to you. So his buddy says, yeah, in the past, you've done these things, Job. You've supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering needs. Don't you want to be known as that kind of person that encourages, that supports those who are stumbling and, and strengthens those that are faltering? The kind of person that just comes alongside, puts their arm around you, and, and either with words or, or other ways of expressing it says, hey, I, I want to inspire you to keep going. Don't quit. Don't stop now. Don't give up. Um, these, these are things that we have to be intentional about. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number 11 says, The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails 
given by one shepherd. The words of the wise are like goads. They keep us going. Hey, I noticed you've been struggling with your little one. Man, you're in that season. Terrible twos. Whoa, do I remember it. But you know, you're doing so well. Just keep going. Somebody else. You know, they won't always be teenagers. They do become lovely 20-year-olds, and they're even better at 30. You know, just, just a word of inspiration, a word of encouragement. I, I've noticed how hard you've been working at your marriage. Every time we're together, you're just building up your spouse. It's an encouragement to me, and I, I've been taking some notes encouragement that's the kind of people we need to be that's the use of the tongue that james is suggesting well let me let me finish this uh, lesson off with a with a little thing i found called the builder versus the wrecker he says um i watched them tearing a, a building down it was a gang of men in a busy town with a heave ho ho and a lusty yell they swung a beam, and the side war fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled and the kind you would hire if you were to build? He laughed, and he said, well, uh, no, indeed. These are just common laborers is all that I need. They can easily wreck in a day or two that which has taken builders years to do. So I said to myself as I went on my way, what part of the game of life do I play? Am I shaping my deeds to a well-made plan, carefully measuring with a rule in a square, patiently doing the very best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks the town content with the labor of tearing down? I don't want to be the wrecker. I want to be the builder. I'm sure you do too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for James. Thank for the practicality of the lesson on the tongue. Boy, we probably need it about once a week. We want to be encouragers and builder-uppers. We don't want to be wreckers. Not in our homes, not in our place of business, not in our churches, not in our communities, not even in our grocery stores. We want to build people up in the most positive way possible. Help us to do that, Father, to gain control of our tongues. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming. It would have been no fun without you. Anybody besides me uh, struggle in this area or...